Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Neuromodulator Dosing for the Upper Face is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Galderma. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Joel Cohen. It's important for physicians to understand that there are different currently available neuromodulators that we can use in the upper face. So we're going to be discussing these products today. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Joel Cohn, a dermatologic surgeon from Denver, Colorado. And I'm Jason Bloom. I'm a facial plastic surgeon in the Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania area. So let's dive right in. Dr. Bloom, can you take us through some of the currently available neuromodulators and how you use them in the upper face? So we do have some currently available neuromodulators on the market. The first would be onobotulinum toxin A, commonly known as Botox Cosmetic. We have abobotulinum toxin A, known as Dysport, incobotulinum toxin A, known as Xeomin, and most recently, we have probotulinum toxin A, known as Juvo. When we talk about the on-label indications in the upper face, every one of these neuromodulators is actually approved for the glabella area in between the eyes, whether it's the proceris to get the horizontal lines or the corrugator to get the vertical lines in between the brows. But only onobotulinum toxin A has other indications currently at this point in the upper face. So onobotulinum toxin A also is approved for the frontalis or the forehead, as well as the lateral canthal lines or the crow's feet. The rest of the neuromodulators that I just talked about that are commonly available are used in these other areas as I commonly use them in my practice, but they are considered off-label because they haven't gone through FDA approval for those specific indications. Give us some guidance in terms of how you're actually deciding which areas to treat in which patients. So if I look at a patient and they have a significant forehead musculature with animation, I look at the positioning of their brows and I might say, well, I'm going to dose their forehead, but I'm also going to really think about the fact that that is going to reposition their brows down. And I'm also going to dose the glabella and crow's feet as well, especially the high crow's feet. So take us through your sort of injection algorithm to optimize results. Yeah, so I think that's really important. And you have to look at the musculature of the periorbital area. And when I say that, we're talking about the glabellar musculature, the corrugators, as well as the proceris, the lateral canthal area, the lateral portion of the orbicularis oculi muscle, meaning around the eye, and then the frontalis or the forehead muscle. And you have to look at it as kind of a give and take. Some of the muscles lift the brows, and actually one muscle, the forehead or frontalis muscle, is the only muscle that lifts the brow. The rest of the muscle groups, as I mentioned, the glabellar musculature, as well as the lateral portion of the orbicularis, pull down on the brow. And we know neuromodulators weaken muscles. So when I'm talking to other injectors or teaching this, and even to patients, I explain to them, because when patients come in the office, we commonly get patients asking, well, can't you just put something up here to lift my brows? And I say, it's actually the exact opposite. In order to lift a brow or raise it up and open the eyes a little bit, we want to weaken the muscles that pull down, whether it's the glabella and the lateral canthal area, meaning the lateral portion of the orbicularis. And we want the forehead or the frontalis muscle to lift and help open up the eyes and lift the brows. 
However, I like to modulate the amount of lift that we're given in the browse based on, again, how strong the muscle is to kind of weaken it so that we're not lifting too much and peaking the brow or causing something that's over-exaggerated where the brows are too severely elevated. So I have the same conversation with patients every day. And I think it's really helpful to actually show the musculature to a patient because people have that misperception about the forehead. So Jason, when we're thinking about which botulinum toxin agent we're going to use, we also think about dose, we think about reconstitution and our own little preferences in terms of what needle and what syringe we like to do. Tell us about some of your preferences. So first of all, let's talk about dose a little bit. So we have some guidance, some guidelines based on the FDA registration trial. So on label, for example, the glabella, and these are the muscles in between the eyes, we have onobotulinum toxin A or Botox Cosmetic. The on-label indication for this area is 20 units. That is the same for Juvo or probotulinum toxin A and for incobotulinum toxin A or Xeomin. They all have an on-label 20-unit dose in the glabellar area. Dysport or abobotulinum toxin A has a 50-unit on-label dose in the glabella. So when you think about it, 20 units of one to 50 units of the other. It's never a one-to-one ratio. There's about 2.5 units of one of those neuromodulators to every one unit of Dysport, and that's based on the FDA dosing. Additionally, as I said, there's only one of those neuromodulators that is approved in other areas of the upper face. So onobotulinum toxin A has an approval for also 20 units in the forehead, as well as 12 units around each of the lateral canthal areas. Now, the dosing in these areas really depends on the muscle strength. So when it comes to reconstitution for the different neuromodulators, these come obviously as a powder. And then, you know, when you reconstitute it, I reconstitute with preserved saline, so it's less painful. Mirta Lam did a study on that a number of years ago. And I like to take the rubber stopper off and use a B&D needle. I like to use the short hub so that I really can withdraw and have very little waste at the end of it, or if a drip happens, very little waste. What's your approach to reconstitution, and how do you do this for your neuromodulator treatments? I'm very much the same way that you do it. So, you know, on label for all of these neuromodulators is preservative-free saline. But as you said, the preserved saline has a preservative, which is benzyl alcohol, which acts as kind of a local anesthetic just before the injection. So I also like to use preserved saline. I use the same needles that you are talking about, these small insulin swedged on needles. It's a 31 gauge, and it's a 0.3 ml needle. I reconstitute abobotulinum toxin differently than I reconstitute all the other neuromodulators that are available. So incobotulinum toxin, onobotulinum toxin, and probotulinum toxin, I like to use a 2cc reconstitution for the 100-unit vials. And when I'm using the insulin syringes that we're talking about, every 0.1cc is five units. So that's how I do those three neuromodulators. The only one I do differently in my office is abobotulinum toxin A, and 
I like to use 1.5 cc's of the preserved saline. And because when I'm using these small needles, every 0.05 cc's is 10 units. So it's very easy because the actual syringes are marked out every 0.05 cc's. And then I know that each of those small little markings is 10 units. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Joel Cohn from Denver, Colorado, and here with me today is Dr. Jason Bloom from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're discussing the importance of neuromodulator selection, accurate dosing, and optimizing your treatments for the glabella and upper face. Now that we've heard how to develop a comprehensive aesthetic plan, let's see things in action. Here's a live demonstration of Dr. Bloom taking us through this process while describing optimal injection techniques. And now we're going to inject the glabella. This is always where I start with injections when we're doing this area. I've chosen a dose of 50 units on label for abobotulinum toxin A. I'll ask the patient to bring your brows tight together for me. Good. I'm gonna put a 10 unit dose right in the glabella at the procerus muscle. Next, you can see the muscle, bring your brows tight together. I'm gonna to do 10 units in the head of the corrugator muscle. We can see the skin insertion of the corrugator muscle and I wanna be medial to that skin dimple. Great, and relax. I then have you bring your brows together again, another 10 units in the head of the corrugator muscle. And then again, brows tight. We can see the tail of the corrugator inserting into the skin. I want to be medial to that dimple and another 10 units. So next we're going to move on to the frontalis or the forehead muscle. For this area, I've chosen a dose of 25 units of abobotulinum toxin A. And I like a small micro droplet approach, barely putting any in as we do our injections here. I'm just into the muscle. You don't have to be any deeper than that. Small little injections across the frontalis to complete our injections in that area. We're next gonna move on to the periocular or lateral canthal lines known as crow's feet. I'll have the patient smile big for me. Good. And now I can see they extend into this area here. So from underneath the brow to here, we can see these lines coming in from laterally. Because this is the thinnest skin of the entire body, we have the muscle layer lying right underneath the skin itself. So we don't have to inject deeply in this area. All we need to do is leave a small aliquot right underneath the skin in order for it to hit the muscle layer. So I'm gonna come in from laterally and inject small aliquots around this area. Now I've chosen 30 units of abobotulinum toxin A for this area. And you can see how superficially I'm injecting. And I like to inject with the needle up again and relax, relax your face, good. Just right under the tail of the brow. And in this kind of area, what I'm really doing is just using my first finger to put the skin onto the needle so that I stay superficial. I'm leaving small aliquots all the way down in this area. You can see small doses, small aliquots, very superficial, works very well for the lateral canthal lines. Jason, thanks so much for that great demonstration. As with all comprehensive plans, we must also factor in the chance of adverse events. 
What do we need to look for and what strategies can we use to minimize our patients' risks? In essence, talk us through some of your pearls and pitfalls when using neuromodulator treatments. I think this is really important because with every you know, good outcome that we get, we have to make sure that we're preventing any adverse events or potential untoward complications or outcomes. So some of the things, so first of all, when I'm talking to a patient, certainly about these kind of treatments, I tell them, we go through the list of things that could potentially happen. It's certainly a first-time neuromodulator patient. And I say, some of the biggest risks are anything that can happen if we put a needle in your face. So bruising, swelling, things like that, where, you know, in the areas where we're injecting a needle, I don't have x-ray vision where I can see underneath the surface of the skin, but certainly knowing the depth will help. So for example, when I'm injecting the lateral orbital area, the lateral canthal lines or the crow's feet, like we saw in the demonstration, like to stay very, very superficial because the muscle of the orbicularis is immediately immediately deep to the skin in that area. If you go below the muscle, then you open yourself up to getting into a vein that might lie a little bit deeper. So as you see, I'm just putting the skin onto the needle with my finger so that I'm staying very superficial in that area that helps prevent bruising in that area. Additionally, we have a patient that is moving. We have a needle specifically around their eyes. So the way I was holding my hands, I'm always injecting away from the eye. If I'm injecting the lateral canthal area, I'm always coming and injecting away from the eye in the event that a patient moved or you know, I'm stabilizing my hand and injecting away from the eye to prevent any issues in that case. And then, you know, I think two of the more, you know, common things that you can see is something like a brow ptosis. And there's two different kinds of ptosis. This is not certainly lid ptosis is a very kind of rare but real risk of these kind of things in using neuromodulators in the glabella and the upper face. But probably more commonly is something like a brow ptosis. Dr. Bloom, that was a fantastic explanation and overview of your approach to using neuromodulators. I really appreciate it. For our audience, what's your one takeaway message for use of neuromodulators? I think the one thing that I'll leave everyone with is when we're injecting the frontalis muscle, it varies across the board with many different patients, and it is so sensitive to neuromodulators. And I would say my one takeaway is to really start low in this area. And if you're injecting a small amount, it's much better than to see the patients back in a couple weeks and add a couple more units if you need to. But if you kind of get shot out of a cannon and you put a lot of units in there at once, the patients will be more unhappy because they've got a heavy brow rather than needing a small little touch up and adding a little bit extra after. And I would add that knowledge of anatomy is absolutely critical to success and people really need to understand what lies beneath in terms of the musculature and really think about the complex interplay of these different muscles and how they work together. And as you pointed out, the yin and the yang of the muscles, whereas the frontalis pulls up the eyebrows, well, the corrugators and the orbicularis oculi and the procerus actually pull down the eyebrows. And that yin and yang is super important to understand. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank you, our audience, for listening. And thank you very much, Dr. Bloom, for joining me and for sharing your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a really great conversation, and I really look forward to the next time. Take care. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. 
This activity is provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Galderma. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.